A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Heko nai purangi te nai na te reo irirangi o aotearoa. No mai, whakarango mai, ki tai autai whenua. Welcome to Country Life, I'm Duncan Smith. Great to have you company, I'm Justin Gregory. Today we meet a finalist at the Beef and Lamb New Zealand Awards and chat with a Hawke's Bay farmer who's in rebuild mode after Cyclone Gabriel damaged his farm. Leah takes us back to school on the border of the far north. And later, Cosmo's on a high country station that turns school leavers into young farmers ready for full-time work. But first, to a roundup of the week's news. Hi guys. Now, to start in brief, as many farmers may be aware, dairy prices rose at the Global Dairy Trade Auction on Tuesday. The average price rose 4.3% and whole milk powder rose 4.2%. Well, that'll be putting a smile on some faces, no doubt. Now, the Rural Contractors Body wants the new government to make it easier to get skilled workers in. That's right. Hundreds of Irish and British specialist workers come here each year to operate machines like large tractors and combine harvesters to cut grass, harvest crops and bale hay. But under current settings, employers must advertise the job domestically first before bringing in an overseas worker on an accredited employer work visa. Rural Contractors Chief Executive Andrew Olson says that creates huge delays and wastes time while more workers are needed for this season. I think it's a regulatory change, so it potentially could be done with the flourish of a pen and removed for the second half of our season, which would be when we get stuck into Mays when uh, more workers will be arriving. And initial assessments that a fifth of Tyrafati's gold kiwifruit vines wouldn't survive have been pessimistic. It's looking that way. Following Cyclone Gabriel, it was thought 20% of the vines, or 180 hectares in both Tairawhiti and Hawke's Bay, would die. But head of grower organisation NZKGI, Colin Bond, says while it's still grim in Hawke's Bay, the 700 hectares of gold around Poverty Bay is looking much more positive. We are hearing positive news about green shoots appearing in spring just to really to say whether or not those plants will be able to hold a crop all the way through to harvest, um, but initial signs are encouraging. Uh, Tyrafati has come back stronger, but I think still in Hawke's Bay we're talking about 20% of that uh, area that's been written off. Now to the seaweed sector, where they're saying regulation is stifling growth. Yeah, well, they're hoping some changes will be made so it can grow and profit from the lucrative wild algae, which is worth about $20 billion a year globally. Local leaders recently gathered at the Aotearoa New Zealand Seaweed Association Summit and Chair Claire Bradley says regulation is certainly holding the sector back, but it's working with the government. There is talk from our members that, you know, had regulatory barriers been removed, they would be far further down the track. So absolutely there's some um, hamstringing because of regulation, but we need to be, get clear on which regulations we can safely adjust that fit in with Fisheries Acts, etc. 
while we design a more fit-for-purpose, longer-term future. Claire Bradley says MPI is supporting a number of commercial trial opportunities, including a kelp farming cooperative and using seaweed as a methane-reducing feed for livestock. Now, you attended the Beef and Lamb Awards this week, Sally. How was that? It was a great night, great night out for farmers off farm and they got a chance to dress up. I met one of the finalists for the Emerging Leader Award, 23-year-old James Robbie. He switched from working in insurance to working the land after waking up one morning, knowing he wanted to head back to the family farm. Now working as the head shepherd at Otapawa Station in the Taradua district, he's taken an active advocacy role in the sector. I caught up with him ahead of the awards in Christchurch. It's, it's definitely a departure from my day-to-day life and um, to be recognised at such a high level in, in New Zealand is, is, um, is quite an honour, I guess, and, and very excited to be here. Yeah. And for this award, it's for people that have been in the industry for five years or under. Yes. Tell me a bit about how you got into farming. Yeah, so I've not had the conventional entry into, into farming. I, I was born and raised on a sheep and beef property, uh, but my entire life I was sort of told to go away and do something else. Um, because that would always be there for me and um, I did, I went away, I went to university, uh, studied a a a degree in political science and international relations, Um, so I've got a a double major there that I um, went on and and sort of leveraged into a role with Farmers Mutual Group Insurance, Um, I worked with them for a year sort of representing um, rural communities in that way, helping out different people through through different um, insurance events and and then um, I just decided that uh, office life was not for me. Uh, the corporate lifestyle was, was not something I could get on board with. And I came home to the farm and, and have not looked back since. It's, um, it's been uh, just over two years now going on in, into my third season. And um, it, it's, it's been yeah something I, I wouldn't trade for the world. Was there any one thing that made you switch your mindset a bit? Um, I, I would say there was a morning I was driving into the office and I just thought, gosh, I, this is, I can't do this again. I can't do this another day. And, and that was the day I just um, I handed in the notice and, and I just thought I, I need something that, uh, I need variety, I need, I need that spice. You know, having, having, uh, having a role that I have at the moment, it's, um, there's something new every day, there's always a challenge, there's always huge rewards but they come at the expense of huge effort and um, it, that, that's just the, the spice of life that farming gives you especially as a young person and um, I just think it's helped me grow into such a, um, a more mature young person as well and, and um, I'm blessed every day for the life that I live and the job that I have. And tell me about your farm, what's it like? It's a special place, it's been in my family for five generations, um, we've been farming there uh, since, since um, that area was settled. Um, it, it's an extremely special place to me that the connection um, to home runs very, very deep. Um, we, run, uh, we run sort of 12,000 ewes and um, oh, sort of 350 head of stud cattle and, and 650, 700 commercial cattle at home. Um, that's on little, a little under 9,000 acres or 3,500 hectares. That's all steep hill country too. We, we do have a few flats, um, but that's, that's you know, rugged east coast country. But there's nowhere I'd rather do it. It's a special, special place to me, and um, I feel very blessed to have come from, um, uh, you know, five generations of extremely hard work to get where we are today. Growing up on the farm and then going back, was it still a huge adjustment from office work to physical farm work on the day to day? I think it was a bit of a relief to me. I, th- I think I found, and I, I definitely said this a lot through the first six months, was that I haven't had a bad day yet. I really felt I'd found my 
thing. I'd found my calling, I'd found my passion. So it wasn't, it wasn't a difficult adjustment, it was more of a, the, the difficulty I guess came with everything that comes with living in a rural, especially an isolated rural community, mm-hmm. is the isolation from friends, the, the, the hours, the, the mental toll of the work. Basically the rural life um, was, was the real adjustment that I had to get myself back into. You know, that, that was where I really um, needed to make the adjustments and, and settle into that rural lifestyle. So. And do you see yourself doing farming for the rest rest of your life? I think, I think I've committed to that now. I, um, like I said, it, it was always there as an option and, and I never saw it the whole time. It was, it was right in front of me and I never saw it. And um, now I wouldn't want to do anything else with my life. I, I, I couldn't go back to the life I had before and uh, I, think I, I think I'm settling in for the long run on this one. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, it's going to be fun to see how I go and I, I'm, yeah, very committed. And what's your favourite thing to do on farm? <laughs> Yell at dogs. No, um, no, uh, man, I, I love uh, cattle. Cattle, mm-hmm. like, cattle are my passion. Um, sheep work, you know, it takes up all the time, but I do love cattle and stud cattle in particular. Um, just, just the idea that you can breed better animals um, that then go out into the wider industry and, and improve New Zealand's beef. Um, herd as a whole is is something really exciting to me. Um, I'm very privileged to be able to play a role in the stud herd at home and um, make pretty key decisions um, that then flow on to our our consumers, our our, um, stud cattle buyers, um, and that then impacts the beef industry as a whole. I think that's um, a very, very cool part of the the business and and it's cool to influence uh, New Zealand's beef herd on a whole. And on the night, Amy Hoganboom took out the award. After studying veterinary science, she shifted her focus and is now the beef genetics manager for Zoetis, where she helps create on-farm solutions for raising beef cattle. Thanks, Sally. This is Country Life on RNZ National 101 FM. Now, some of you may have thought your school days were long behind you, but Leah Tebbit is getting you back on the bus to Tomorata School. Situated halfway between Pakiri Beach and Mungafai in the Wellsford area of Auckland, Tomorata School could be considered a success story for their community. At the turn of the century, many schools were shut down by Trevor Mallard, but not Tomorata, and as Leah reports, it's thriving. What do you guys like most about going to school here? Playing with my friends and learning. Learning, play with my friends and... It's this that makes a country school stand out. Do you like having the chickens and the cows? Yes, room five does the chickens. Oh, is that your classroom? What do you have to do to do the chickens? We scoop the poop. We got to clean the chicken coop and take the eggs out. It allows children to get their hands in the mud and learn where their food comes from. It's not really messy. Oh, you guys must be okay with poo and muck. We have to have gloves and a mask. Tomorata School. It's Auckland's northernmost school. In fact, it's almost 90 years old, having been established in 1934, which is a pretty mean feat for any country school. But I do feel lucky to be here. I tried yesterday, but a civil defence emergency due to flooding made it difficult. So let's see what the kids are up to today. Hi, yeah. Hi. I was just looking for Mr King. Yeah, he's Round the corner. Yeah, you'll see the orange vest <laughs> down on the field. Awesome, thank you. It's a bit nicer of a day today. It is, isn't it? isn't it? How are you? It's a bit sludgy. Well, we just climbed a few pear trees and now we're just doing 
what are we doing here? Apple and a nectarine? I've caught everyone out in the sunshine planting fruit trees near the chicken coop. The trees were donated by Balance Agri-Nutrients, who decided to donate a variety of trees to different country schools across New Zealand. Right, Just a little bit though girls or else it'll end up you won't it won't survive. Yeah that's heaps. No more, no more, no more. That's a lot. It is. With the fruit trees in the ground and lunchtime underway, I sit down with Principal Chris King. So we're really close to the border with Northland and so yeah, we are the northernmost school in Auckland, which is kind of amazing because you just don't feel like you're in Auckland at all. You're in a rural setting, so you know that's kind of I don't know, kind of blows people away when they turn up here and think, is this still part of Auckland? <laughs> and even the Ministry of Education, when they come, you know, they say, you know, we've come. This is our furthest north that we come, and across country yeah. roads and <laughs> flooding like I did Big yesterday. Pot, yeah, <laughs> potholes and flooding and all the rest of it. Yeah. You mentioned, and I can see, that there's paddocks right next door, I'm guessing yeah. for, for dairy cows. You've also got chickens actually on school site yes. and just earlier we were planting fruit trees. Yes. So there's a very uh, rural focus to, to the learning, I guess, of, of these children. And why do you view that as an important part of the education journey for them? I think that it helps kids to feel connected to something and it's part of our school's vision that kids will be outdoors, enjoying the outdoors, being healthy and getting involved. So things like having the fruit trees and the chickens and the vegetable gardeners is just ways to get kids outdoors and interacting with nature. And another really amazing thing that this school has is we have a nature classroom which is off-site on a local farm. The Barnes family, who's a local family, um, have set aside an area of native bush as a little reserve for Tomarata School to use. And the board um, have worked to have a classroom built there. So we have an actual off-site classroom. Wow. Yeah, so the idea behind that is that once a week a class will go there and you know, learn about how to care for the eels in the stream and they're doing testing water quality and learning about the native trees and yeah it's a really special spot actually it's quite peaceful. Mr King only started his role at the school at the beginning of the year. He and his wife and young daughter made the 1700 kilometre journey up from Invercargill. I'm a first time principal I had been a deputy principal at my previous school. What was the attraction though for a very country orientated school? The thing that appealed to me was when you see a job come up in the Education Gazette, you jump on the school's website. And then I was just reading the vision and values of the school and it resonated with me. And my wife and I had the conversation that wouldn't that be a great school to send our daughter Imogen to? And then I just sort of sat with it for a few days thinking about it and checking back in and looking at the website again and just loved that every, everything that the school has to offer for kids. What makes it tick? What's what's so different about it as opposed to those that 
I guess, are in the city or um, in other sort of areas? Well, I think that Tomarata School has a very strong community and the role of the school within the community is actually quite a hub. I think the community views the school as, you know, a meeting place and a place that's historical and important to the community. I really, really like that about it. And like yesterday, as an example, we had a bit of flooding and we had to close the school because of some of the local roads were going underwater. Well, you know, we put out a message to families to say, we're going to have to close and then everyone just starts flocking in. We had to cancel all the buses. I think there's just, um, you know, a lot of community buy-in to the school. And not just the parent community as well. We've actually got a group of farmers come and play tennis up here on our tennis courts all through summer, which is awesome to see. At the end of the day when you're turning all the lights off and setting the alarm, there's six utes parked out the front and a whole heap of farmers hanging out playing tennis, being healthy and happy. And how many is in the school role? 62 kids at the 62. moment. 62, yeah. wow. So it's not the smallest country school that there's ever been. Like no. we were um, just talking about a school that had sort of nine pupils. Yeah. But um, I guess 62 is, is a good number at the same time, isn't it? That is a good number. Well, we've got four classrooms, so we've basically got around 15 kids in each class, which is really enviable, I think, for a lot of schools that are in the city. You probably could double that just about. What do you think uh, people like about working here as well? Obviously, you've touched on it from your own ex- sort of experience on why you wanted to, to come mm. here, but you've got a teacher here that's worked for 40 years, so there must be something great about the school <laughs> that keeps yeah. her coming. That's Barb. Yeah, I think she said to me, you know, Tomarata School is my heart, so it's just it does become a really important part of your life. And, of course work forms a big part of your life and you want to enjoy your work so I think people who work at Tomarata School enjoy their time being around their colleagues and love working with the kids and it is just a very special place so Mm. yeah. Have you ever feared with the sort of the move in in decades past of people moving away from uh, rural areas into the urban that schools like this would cease to exist? Yeah I think I've definitely thought about that, but I think they have such a unique element to them that I think they will always exist. And in education, there's a big push for schools to develop their own localised curriculums. So I think Tomarata School is working really hard to do exactly that and give the school community kind of what it's looking for in an education for their kids. Uh, So I think we hold that sort of special place. I think... I understand why there's a pull to a bigger school. There may be different opportunities there, but the uniqueness of a small school and the more personalised approach to education, I think is, yeah, I think it's really special and I think the community recognises that. And just by watching the kids earlier, when when you were planting new fruit trees, they love it. Like, (laughs) they can't get enough of putting their hands in the mud and and stomping on the ground. Yeah, it's interesting, eh? Especially the really young kids. I was really blown away today by how they are so into it. Some of the older kids who are, like, 11 and 12 years old were more standing back telling them what to do. But, um, (laughs) yeah, it's fantastic. They love it. You see the smiles on their faces, and I guess that's reassurance that we're on the right track, really. Yeah. Principal Chris King there of Tomorata School. And now to Porangaho in central Hawke's Bay to meet Baden Anderson, who runs a property right at the edge of the Porangaho River. 
This year has been challenging for the 34-year-old farmer, rebuilding the cyclone-damaged sheep and beef farm. Despite all the hurdles, he tells Maggie Tweedy the opportunity to run Wormsley Canning Estate like his own is as good as it gets. Bain Anderson, currently living in uh, Parongahoe, farming sheep and beef, uh, breeding and fattening with a bit of store component, managing it for a trust. Place is called the Wormsley Canning Estate. I've been here for three years. So, yeah, managing 500 hectares here with uh, two and a half thousand breeding ewes to the ram and 150 female cattle to the bull. So, why did you choose farming? What attracted you to this profession? I was pretty lucky to grow up on a farm. I was always always involved with farming. It's sort of all I was ever going to do, really. Farming and shearing is all I've ever known and all I've wanted to do, really. When I was growing up, the old man was a shearing contractor when I was younger. He used to hang out at Woolshed a lot, and I loved the vibe about it, really. And then when I was up at Smedley, we sort of did a fair bit of the shearing up there and, yeah, got a real itch for it, really. But I only did it for a couple of years, sort of missed the dogs too much. Dogs are a, a huge part of the farm lifestyle. They're, they're mates, their company as well. How many dogs do you have? Oh, I've got a half a dozen down there, yeah. Nothing too spectacular at the moment, but pretty keen on them and passionate. They're pretty cool animal. Do you spend a lot of time training them? Not as much as I should be. <laughs> spend a bit more time training the kids nowadays. <laughs> and in terms of this property here, how did you stumble across it? And, and can you tell me a little bit more about the community here and what keeps you here? Because I understand there's quite a few young people. There's, there's a bit of community spirit in Paranghai. I was pretty fortunate enough that uh, my uncle was managing it previously. I was in a position down in Weber on a really neat property working with some cool people down there. And this job came up, and I wasn't really looking for a job. I loved it down there. There was, was a neat community as well. Chucked my name in the hat, and I was, yeah, lucky enough to be here. This estate's really good to work for. Two trustees that I work with, they're good people and easy to get on with. So it's a real cool opportunity here. It's really neat to run a farm as, as though it's my own and chuck all the passion and drive into it and see the results and get the results for someone else is, is as good as it gets, really. What are some of the, the things that you do in order to keep one step ahead? Because we know we've been talking about these environmental challenges that you see and uh, regulations that come into force. What are some of the things that you have in your tool belt to kind of keep you prepared when times get a little bit tougher? On farm, sort of try and grow as much feed, balance out the feed curve really, chuck a bit of supplement away and do a lot of summer crops for lamb fattening, chuck some winter crops in to tup use on and pre-lamb use with. Yeah, in a year like this where we had plenty of feed instead of pre-lambing on them, sort of it was good feed for young cattle. So yeah, take out those harsh factors. Nothing prepared us for Gabriel obviously, but uh, like with summer dry possibly looming every year, it's always in the back of your mind. That's probably the biggest thing we try and avoid. Are you thinking you might actually be faring a little bit better this summer if you do hit a really dry patch? I think a Hawke's Bay summer probably does suit this property more than a, than a wet summer, but also just trying to limit how harsh that uh, Hawke's Bay summer can be on us. And what kind of crops have you got in place at the moment? Yeah, i just got hollowed annual grasses in at the moment. They'll all go into chicory and clover and then... Um, yeah, a bit of kale and plantain mix that the young heifers are on. Some winter crop didn't get put in because it was too wet in the summer, so that was all summer fallowed and then put in Daniel. Yeah, you've really had to change the game, eh? You've really had to just rejig some of those plans. Yeah, but that's farming, eh? you got to farm for what's happening next month, I suppose. I'm pretty lucky, lean on some pretty good farmers that are mates and some older generation guys that I can talk to and lean on. I'm actually not too bad at listening to other people's ideas and that and enjoy learning and growing so that makes it easier.
three years, what have you achieved in that time? Looking back, how have things changed? When it came here, it was very traditionally run, so most progeny was sold store. Yeah, it was made just a breeding component with a little bit of fattening. So tried to really ramp up the fattening and uh, done a lot of fencing development, added a fair bit of water. With the council's regulations, we've just finished fencing off all of the creeks. Finished about a month before Gabriel came along and took a whole lot of it away, but that's probably probably been the biggest change has been um, fencing infrastructure. And does the council fund part of that? Yeah, so when I got here it was at 75%, but um, we ended up yeah doing most of it at 50%, which was uh, still good. Fencing the rivers off has meant easier management. Had to add water in to a lot of places because the river was the water, but yeah, so 50% from them and 50% up front from us. We're up at the house now uh, where you live with your family, which has also grown quite significantly in the last couple of years, right? Oh, yeah, so yeah, well, we came here with the three kids, but yeah. Um, the kids are pretty young. My wife, Shay, my oldest daughter, she turns eight next week. Twins, that'll turn six soon, yeah. So they're all at um, Fleming School down the road there and ticking away as a family and pretty privileged to be here, really. It's a great place to bring up a family. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing quite like the rural upbringing. And what about this river that I can see just looking down in the property? What river is that? And Did that come up pretty high? You would have probably been able to see that swell during the cyclone. Yeah, so that's a, that's the Tauti Kaitai River. Nah, some people refer it to as the Porongo River, but they've done a lot of damage. From went from being a beautiful river to being a bit of a mess. Really, the bridge down there was lapping at the bottom of that. So, as you can imagine, it done a fair bit of fair bit of destruction. Driving out here on the way, you can see around Wanstead Bridge. It's like a massive dam, and that gets pretty soggy at the best of times. But it, it looks like a bit of a dam around there. That hasn't really gone down since the cyclone. Had a lot of rain events since Gabriel too, to be fair. But well, I think we're we're over that now and moving forward, hopefully. And in terms of sorting out those fences, has that been a bit of a headache for you? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's been a huge cost too, especially with a lot of it being brand new. It's pretty disheartening. But we're getting there. Pretty fortunate that I've got um, got a guy that lives in the cottage that's a bloody good fencer. So between me and him, we've got most of it back up what we can. But the summers, there's still a lot of work to be done in the summer where we can finally push into some of those dark spots we can't get to. So is it just you two working on the farm together? He's on a casual basis, so, yeah, just casual um, for fencing. And then, yeah, just try and do as much as I can on my own. And, yeah, I was using, she's since moved away, so sort of a bit of casual work here and there with the stock, but mainly try and power it out on my own so I can do more fencing and development work. Porangaho farmer Baden Anderson. I'm John Whitaker, the flower man from Fielding, and you're listening to Country Life, the RNZ National. Coleridge Downs overlooks the Rakaia Gorge on the northern side of that mighty river, and the scenery around the station's pastoral hills is spectacular. It's Mount Hutt, Peak Hill and the Benmore Range, they're constant reminders of the Southern Alps and the harsh environment that it holds. Cosmo Kentish Barnes is there to find out about a farm cadetship programme that turns fresh-faced school leavers into hardy, no-nonsense shepherds. First up, he's with Jack Innes. I'm a second-year cadet at College Downs, and we're just at the quarters having a look around. This is where you all live? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a pretty, pretty good spot. Um, yeah, it's pretty nice for quarters, so, yeah, all living together, so it's good. How many of you uh, live here? Ah, uh, there's eight of us. Four second-year and four first-year cadets? Yes, yeah, yeah, because there's four rooms on the outside, and then two rooms here, and then toilet and showers just here and then there's a couple more rooms inside yes. yeah so where do you do your cooking um we got a cook shop down the hill we go down there every night and then we get oh she makes us pack lunches and we just make them while we well she makes them we bag them up and then come back up 
in the evenings, but yeah. So you don't have to cook? No. No, just weekends, so it's pretty ideal. In the weekends, what's normally on the menu? Always a bit of bacon and eggs and pasta and the old thing kicking around, roasts and just whatever, really. Yeah. And what's made you want to come here and become a cadet? Just awesome experience, learn heaps with great people, and it's just a perfect, awesome experience when you come straight out of school. So how old were you when you came here? Uh, 17. 17? Yeah. Was it quite a challenge to start with? Uh, no, it wasn't too bad. Everyone was pretty friendly, so you fit in quite well. So, Well, you fit in pretty quick. Everyone's pretty welcoming, yeah. And you're at the end of your second year now? Yes, yeah. So we're all starting to look for jobs about now and just, yeah, starting to apply for the odd one. So just so it happens, really. Yeah. And you've been learning on-farm work but also you've been doing a lot of classroom study as well yes yeah yeah we've learned heaps in the classroom i'm sort of more of a hands-on guy i learn a lot more doing it than reading it but yeah no, i definitely learned heaps what has been the biggest challenge for you since since being here yeah probably getting dogs up and going that's quite a challenge but we're getting there slowly yeah because you get allocated a puppy don't you when you come here yes yeah yeah we get a heading dog pup when we first turn up and then about halfway through the year, we get a buy broken in Huntway. And then oh, at the start of your second year, end of your first year, you get a, another Huntway pup. So, yeah. Dave, do you want to go with Kelsey? She's got some cows on. Just above the accommodation unit is a busy farmyard where Tony Plunkett chats with his staff as strong winds and some hail start to buffer the gorge. She's been an interesting spring. We had such a warm August to the point that we were starting to get a bit dry and then we got a dump of snow, we got six inches of snow, uh, we did have used lemon so that caused a bit of a bit of an issue uh, uh, and we also had 60 mils of rain and, and then we've had another skiff of snow come through and now we're getting the equinox uh, which has seemed a wee bit harder than normal but that's where we live. Tony runs the farming operation and the cadetship programme. Um, I'm the general manager for Collaris Downs LTD, which consists of four stations, three out the Require Gorge. Uh, we've got Dry Akron, Big Ben and Collaris Downs, and then we've got Annavale up the Wymac Gorge. So total hectares, we're about 9,000 all up, uh, running 45,000 stock units. What appeals to you about the job? Probably the people. Um, you know, I get a real kick out of managing people. Uh, I like large-scale farming, and um, it's not a bad place to live with Coggles. How many staff do you have here? Altogether, on the payroll, we're up to about 20, including the cadets. And, in fact, one of the cadets has just turned up on a tractor. Is that Jack? What's he doing? Uh, Jack is a way to help pull a heavy rollers of bits actually that's leaking. Tell me about the cadet program that you run on the farm. How did it start? Uh, so we've been going nine years now. How did it start? Um, I've got four sons and we were sort of looking around uh, for a training program for them and just found that there wasn't a lot out there. We went up to Smedley and Waipawa and had a look around there, but noticing that there was 50 to 80 applicants every year. And it so happened that a good friend of ours, uh, Sarah Barr, was really pushing to start one in the South Island. She was negotiating with another um, 
farm a wee way from here and, and that sort of fell flat and uh, she heard I was up there and so she came knocking on the door and said, hey, you guys should have a crack. And that's how it started? Basically, that's how it started. <laughs> so what did you do to set up the training farm? That, that year I went on the, on the Rabobank executive course and I did my business model plan on setting up a cadetship here and then put that in front of the, the owners and the board. Um, we're really lucky here with the Erdmans. They're in America, they live in Hawaii, they, they're farmers, they ranch over there, and um, they're really positive and support um, education. Yes, and so you've been going for a few years now. Are you getting lots of applications? Yeah, I think uh, we've just chosen our next four coming in, and I think we had 32 apply. Uh, we, we probably see the other side of, of the industry. We, we get a bit sick of hearing about no young people coming into the industry and yet we've got this cadet thing going and, and you know we've got 30 kids apply for four. Of that we could easily take 20 of them and all want to get into agriculture. They just need the opportunity to, to start. Do they pay to do this cadetship programme? Now we're a wee bit different in that way and that was one of the admins non-negotiables that they didn't want New Zealanders to think that they were getting their labour for nothing. So one of the things we'll see, well we have to pay them. So they are our labour force which is a wee bit different to Smedley and Waipara and some of the other uh, programmes so they have to do the work because we've got nobody else and for that they, they get paid. So they get a, uh, a training wage, they get fed and they get housed. First year cadets Alexa Gunson and Jack Hamilton are in a paddock near the farmyard with their dogs. So I've got George, my five-year-old Huntway, and then my heading pup, Roo. He's coming up about 11 months old. What's your background? Where are you from? And what made you want to come to Coleridge Dance? Uh, yeah, so I'm originally from Hawke's Bay, up in the North Island, so off a farm, but yeah, a little way away from home, but nah, just an opportunity to learn new skills, I suppose, hands-on and yeah, get a good experience and take a few boxes as well of, with paperwork and stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's a pretty good opportunity. Was it hard coming down to the South Island on your own? Oh, a little bit, but no, nah, it's been awesome, like sort of expand your own friend group and network of family, I suppose, and here it's great at Coleridge, we are a real tight knit, which is cool. So mm. it's made it quite easy, but yeah. In the first year, what sort of things are you doing in terms of on-farm learning and also in classroom learning? So in our first year, it's sort of, we go wherever we're needed on the farms and then classwork, you aim to sort of get your level three papers done, which is pretty good. And then that helps you in your second year, you go on to level four classwork and then you are a little bit more busy with more responsibility on the farm. Mm -hmm. Now your uh, dogs are raring to go. They're in the back of the ute right now. And one of them is staring at that small mob of sheep in the paddock. Yep. Are you going to do a bit of training? Yep. Now, Jack, tell me about your, your dog. This is my heading dog. She's about 18, 20 months old and just just sort of starting to go right now. So this was the pup that we got when we first turned up. Did you get to choose her? Um, I got to choose her out of a litter, um, out of the old manager that was working here. So, yeah. 
Have you had someone to come in and help you with the dog training? Yeah, we've had Lloyd Smith come in a couple of times and all the managers are really good at helping us. If we ever have any problems, we just sort of yeah. talk to them and they normally sort us out. How many dogs have you got now? Uh, three. And I'm planning on buying another broken and heading dog at the end of this year. What part of this experience do you love the most in terms of being out on the farm? To be honest, probably the pivot side of it, because you've got a lot more intensive stuff going on. You learn a lot more about grazing and stock and stuff, but the mustering side of things is bloody good fun. Further up the gorge, another cadet is driving his ute towards a mob of sheep that need shifting. G'day, I'm Charlie Coakley. I'm a second year cadet and we kind of start off as not a lot of experience and we hopefully come out as young junior shepherds. Yeah, where are you from? Uh, I'm just from West Melbourne, which isn't too far from here, about 50 minutes. What do your folks do? My parents are poultry farmers. How come you're not working with them? Oh no, I just had a massive passion for sheep and beef farming when I was young and uh, I think College Downs has probably given me that best opportunity as uh, you know, get a head start in the industry. If you hadn't have come here and become a cadet, what sort of path would you have taken? Oh, I probably would have just tried to get another shepherding job somewhere, but it's they're probably not as good as uh, the setup that they've got here at Coleridge, yes. or I would have looked at doing a dippy at uh, Lincoln. Steady, steady. Have you gotten involved in the local community? Yeah, all of us boys, we play footy down at Darfield Colts, and it's really good to get out of the gorge and go play some rugby. And uh, we also all do the um, Glenroy Dog Trials, which is the local dog trials here, and do a bit of a working bee, and we all second years run our dogs there, and it's just a good time. Now the paddock we are driving through is quite boggy in places. Yeah, in the in bull paddock here we've got uh, some ewes and lambs, and uh, we're just getting um, them all in one paddock for tailing tomorrow. Hello, Gus. Gus, left. Left. Sit in. Get. Quiet drum. I jump into a side-by-side -side with Lucy Moffat. Because of the volatile conditions, she's heading up the hill to check on some stock. Oh, windy. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is that better? Yeah, that's good. Now I've just jumped back into the side by side because I think it's a bit too noisy out there. Now, Lucy, uh, tell me about the sheep in this paddock of chicory. So these are our early ewes. So they, they've all finished lambing. They've probably finished lambing a week or so ago, and over about a course of a month, they lambed out on the hills and we put, brung them back down onto the chicory to get them ready for tailing and yes. the headwaters breed and the, through the Lumina program. Yes. What's, what made you want to become a cadet here at Coleridge Downs? So I'm off a family farm in Ashley Gorge and always wanted to do something along the lines of like, in the agriculture industry but I could have gone to Lincoln, but university straight out of school didn't really 
it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something a lot more practical and hands-on while still getting a lot of learning. And I was chatting to a mate about this program and came to an open day and yeah, I was lucky enough to get in and yeah, I'm loving it. And do you do lots of courses while you're a cadet? Yeah, yeah, we're very lucky. We're very supported by the farm and the managers and the owners to like further education. Uh, like we so we get to do a chainsaw course, like a Can-Am course, LTV, and we do a shearing course. Yeah, so we're very they're very open to and love you know seeing us grow a bit further. Yeah. What's the hardest part about being here for you? I don't know, there's a lot. Each day you come across a challenge of some sort, but I suppose the weather's testing of, you know, every person that is in the agriculture industry will understand that the weather is pretty much the bane of everyone's existence. It's, yeah, it can be a challenge. Like we're meant to be tailing this afternoon, but with the weather it's just not gonna happen, but it's, that's okay. It's too unpredictable, isn't it, today, the weather? Yeah. Yeah. There's been no rain, hail, as our listeners can hear, there's heaps of wind, but it's not it's not too cold, is it? No, it's not. Definitely not for up here. It's definitely been a lot colder. It's just windy, very windy. And so you've got one more year left? Yep. Yeah, i got next year. What's different about the second year? So second year, so there's three different farms like, run together. And then the first year you kind of switch around a bit and get to know every manager and get to learn a bit from it off each farm. But in the second year you're placed at a farm, so two cadets are at Coleridge, one's at Big Ben and one's at Dryacron. And I'm lucky enough to be at Dryacron next year with Troy. So I'll be the only second year up there and I'll work closely with Troy who'll be my manager to learn a lot of him and I'll also get to run a bit of Dryacron down there which will be exciting and yeah. Yeah. And what are your hopes and dreams for the future? To definitely stay in the agriculture industry. I'd love to go shepherding down south next. And you've got one dog now, but by the end of the cadetship, you'll probably have three or four. Yeah, so I've I got a heading dog at the beginning of the year, and who was just a pup, and I have just brought a hunt away. Yeah, and then I'll end of this year, I'll get another younger one, and yeah, that'll be yeah probably three, three to four dogs when I leave. I've just got back to the farmyard at Big Ben Station here and uh, this is where the office and classroom is and I'm going to pop in and catch up with the cadets training manager and, and it's going to be good to get out of this wind. I'm Kristen O'Callaghan. I've been here for about eight years and... Yeah, I came here primarily as the training manager of the cadet program here, which evolved into coming on board full-time and 50% of the time helping out on the farm, either out on farm or farm support with compliance and environmental and all sorts of other duties that are coming upon us Mm. in the farming world. So you oversee the primary ITO courses that the cadets do here on the farm? Yes, yeah, so I'm their tutor for their primary ITO work, so they, they're enrolled in Level 3, and they begin Level 4, which is part of the complex apprenticeship that primary ITO offer, that um, works really well for our, our cadets. Um, 
We structure the work, uh, our timetable, largely around the farming calendar. So we'll be working really hard on everything to do with lambing and calving and feeding at the moment. And then, yeah, later in the year we'll be looking more at feeding into weaning. And, yeah, it gets a bit too busy through summer, so we don't do quite so much classwork through summer. And then come next autumn, winter... We do a lot of classwork through those times. Mm. So what sort of things does this classwork cover? So at the moment the work they're working on with the lambing and calving, they're having to identify and get photos, load photos into their programme of um, lambing problems and how they deal with it Mm. and then monitoring it afterwards. Um, They uh, monitoring body condition score, monitoring behaviour, all sorts of things. That will come in super handy when they're out there mm. doing a big job on a mm. on a high country station or another farm. Yes, yeah, that's right. And a lot around planning, so understanding why the planning's done and put in place and recording that and then carrying it through into the situations they need to use it and then reporting back. So it's the full process which just becomes in greater scale as they move up through the ranks. Mm. Are most of the cadets like, oh no, we've got classwork today? No, no, they'll actually get a bit stroppy with us if we get behind. We hear all about it, when's class, when's class? So they mostly enjoy coming to class. We keep it pretty social. It's also a really good time for me to pick up on anything that's going on if someone's being... um, isolated or getting a bit down or a bit stressed it's um, a really good chance for me to catch up on that as well. Yeah you also oversee their pastoral care so to speak because I guess for some of them this is the first time that they've left home properly. Absolutely yeah massive part of it is the pastoral care they they just can't succeed unless they're looked after like a lot of them are 17 when they arrive most of them turn 18 in the first few months or first year of being here um, it's not always smooth sailing, it's all, always fun for the first week mm. and then yeah, by the end of a couple of months and, and the hot dry wind in the summer, a lot of hard work, there's usually a few tears from most of them and that's our job just to wrap them up and put a bit of care around them and get them going again and Tony will often introduce me as camp mother around here and I, I guess that's, that's about what it is but it's basically just good family values and good culture. How important is it that there are opportunities like this cadetship program here at Coleridge Dans for young people wanting to have a career in agriculture? Oh, it's so important. There's so many kids out there that are keen and just want that start and it's so hard to get that good start without them being soured. You know, as Tony said earlier, it's a bit frustrating when you hear people saying it's really hard to get staff. It's not It's not that hard to get staff. You've just got to put the time in and train them and put that support around them and nurture them and it comes back. You know, we've, we've got some of our original cadets right from back in 2016 when it first started that... I'm pretty sure some of them will be tapping on the door in the next few years for our block managers' jobs when they come up. So that's when we've hit the pinnacle of success, I believe.
Despite the weather, Alexa is still in the paddock training her farm dogs. Beyond the paddock where the sheep are, we can see uh, the mountains and there's quite a bit of snow on the tops. Yeah, that yeah. no, does. We're actually supposed to, I think, get a bit of more snow, even though it's, what are we now, October. Um, but yeah, no, it's definitely ever-changing weather, but yeah, yes. pretty lucky with the scenery. There are some cattle in the distance too. Are they the Angus cattle? Yep, so they're Angus first carvers, so they've, this is their first year of carving. At the moment they're quite sort of, you want to leave them as much as you can because mm. they get quite protective over their mm. calves. Um, but yeah, so that's what's in the lane over there. Um, oh, we can see a young newborn calf just running down towards mum. Yeah, yeah, so they oh, get quite them. hectic, yeah. <laughs> With our brake fences and stuff, it's quite funny. They sort of roam around underneath and then you've got all the mums mooing and creates a bit of noise behind the quarters, but it's nice to have them away now yeah. in the lane. What school did you go to before you came here? So I was at Wanganui Collegiate, so I stayed right the way through. But yeah, it was a bit of a stretch, I would say. School was, yeah, it was great opportunities and everything, but it is pretty nice to be back where you sort of feel more at home. Had you identified Coleridge Downs uh, well before you'd finished school? Did you know that you wanted to come here? Yeah, for sure. Sort of, I'd say sort of end of year 12 was the time where I'd sort of realised I was like this is yeah this is what I want to do so yeah gave it a crack and you sort of do the open day which is normally in early July and then you sort of send your application in and then they do about yeah probably 18 to 20 interviews a year. So you came down with mum and dad? Yeah yeah I came down with dad for my interview and then yeah you sort of get told if you're in or not and then you come down again sort of end of the year and you do a couple of initiation days of sort of more tractor work and side-by-side training and stuff, which was quite nice. What are your long-term goals? Would you like to have your own farm one day? Where can you see your career heading? Career heading, probably, yeah, long, long long-term is either my own farm or helping with the family farm, but maybe expanding that or, yeah, managing a big station somewhere would be another ultimate goal, but yeah, see sort of what happens. Alexa Gunson ending that story there from Coleridge Downs Station in Canterbury's Rakaia Gorge. Cosmo is also talking to General Manager Tony Plunkett, Training Manager Kristen O'Callaghan, and Farm Cadets Jack Hamilton, Lucy Moffat, Charlie Coakley, and Jack Ennis. To see some photos from the day, you can go to our webpage. You just need to type Country Life RNZ into your browsers, and there you'll find us. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Kia pai na ra fakata. Have a great weekend, and go the All Blacks. <laughs> Catch you next time. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 